Thank you so much, Tim and Dale and Wayne, for leading us today. It's great to see all of you this morning. Isn't Tim doing a great job? He sure is. Thank you, Tim. God bless you. God just brought him to us in a beautiful, beautiful way. Oh, many of you have asked me if I've had a good week. Some of you know it was my birthday this week. So thank you for the many birthday wishes from some of you. Others certainly will now rectify your egregious uh, oversight. But um, you won't believe what my family took me to do. Uh, Dale loves to surprise me with these things, and she surprised me over the years with some pretty good stuff. But anyway, she said, just the family will be there. I said, okay. So she starts taking me to a very sketchy part of town, I will say, where some of you live. But anyway, <laughs> I said, Dale, my blood pressure's getting a little up here because you're, we're in a rough area of town. And she said, just, just relax, just, just wait. So we go to this place, and I, had, I, I just couldn't believe it when I got there. Um, it was an axe-throwing establishment. <laughs> Yes, an axe-throwing establishment. And I thought, why are y'all bringing me to a place where I can throw axes? So all the children, the children and grandchildren were there except for the two baby, the youngest ones. I don't think that would have been real good for them, but we just had quite a time. And I, I don't want to tell you who won the whole championship. Yeah, it was me. Well, I don't know what happened, but I just got in there and there was this bullseye, and I envisioned an ugly old deacon I used to have trouble with. <laughs> and I threw that thing, stopped it, went every time, just bam, 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 it, got, it, it was good. So anyway, I got a lot of aggression out of me that day, I must tell you, but that was fun. I loved it. I can't wait to go back. So if you want to take me somewhere happy, my happy place, we're going to go throw axes. <laughs> well, that's enough of that. But I hope you had a good week as well. God bless you for being here today. This is by far the biggest crowd we've had in the last two and a half months. And I'm thankful uh, to all of you who are here. And Kevin, our associate pastor, uh, welcomed you and asked you to fill out a visitor's card. If you've not done that, I dare you to do it. Maybe that'll work if I dare you to do it. Uh, but we want to be able to minister to you. We really do. But God bless you for being here today. I'm thankful. I really am. But I want to begin today with a story. And I mentioned this man's name last week. And I know you all remember his name was George Whitfield. It's pronounced Whitfield. It's spelled Whitefield, a great British preacher from long ago. He wrote a letter to Benjamin Franklin. Now, Benjamin Franklin, we know, was a great inventor. He was a diplomat. He was a statesman. But he was also a prolific correspondent. And what that meant in those days was he wrote and received many, many letters. And one he received that I would say, in my not-so-humble opinion, was the best of all, came from George Whitfield, who said to him, Dear Mr. Franklin, I know that you are growing more famous 
in the learned world. As you have made much progress in investigating things such as electricity. But he said, I now humbly urge you to give diligent study to the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study. And when mastered, will richly repay you. Well, he was witnessing to Benjamin Franklin, encouraging him to study the new birth. This passage we're going to study today is all about the new birth. So please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. Last week we saw chapters 1 I mean, we've seen over the last few weeks chapters 1 and 2. But today we begin in chapter 3 of the book of John. And it is truly one of my favorites. And I do mean that. It really is. Now in chapter 3, in toto, we're going to see Jesus as a teacher, Jesus as a witness, Jesus as the bridegroom. But today we see Jesus as a teacher. And in verses 1 through 20, we're going to see him, verse 21, 1 through 21, we're going to see him as the teacher, as he teaches one of the greatest men in all of Israel. So look there with me, if you would, as we see Jesus, the teacher. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered. Now look at verse 5. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? Jesus said again, Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know, testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Verse 12, I've told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven But he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but will have what? Say it out loud. Everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe the condemned is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Well, he writes here one of the most profound passages in all the Bible. It is amazing. As he he talks to the teacher about the necessity of being born again and what that means. Now we know every individual is unique. If you've got more than one child or you have more than one grandchild, you know how unique those children are. Uh, We had three girls, of course, and they were quite unique. Uh, We talk about it regularly and uh, amazed at the differentness of our girls. And my two surviving girls, of course, were with me on my birthday on Friday, and they are just as different as they can be. I don't think they look the uh, same. I don't think they act the same. They're just different people. You have to deal with them differently. The other day I was wanting Allison, she's my secretary, I was wanting her to do something. So I knew how to get her. I said, now my last secretary knew how to do this. Oh, I knew that would spur her on. So buddy, it got done just like that. Now if I'd said that to Laura, she'd have probably cried for three weeks and had to go to counseling for it. (laughs) She would have, but Allison, hmm, boy, she, you know what that did to her. She got it done. I said, I knew how to get that done. Daddy. Anyway, they're different. Well, people are the same. Adult people are the same. We we are all different. And if you'll notice how Jesus dealt with people, it's an amazing study. And I've written some books, and, and I've been asked to write a lot on evangelism, for example. And people always want to know about the evangelism method that Jesus used, like with Nicodemus. The frustrating thing for authors and writers and scholars is that Jesus never talked to two people the same way. You see, he treated everybody according to their own need. He established rapport with them according to their personality. It was not a canned presentation like I've used and like I've taught people to use. It was a unique individual encounter but in every instance, it was a, he was able to use that rapport and identification to establish a relationship that he used to then share the truth of the kingdom. And he does it with Nicodemus. He does it in a powerful way with Nicodemus. So Jesus is truly the model of caring relationship. He, he's the master of, of relating to people in such a powerful way. And you've experienced that. As he's ministered to you personally, you know how he's related to you. Well, let's look at this text. It's a powerful one this morning.
First of all, look with me at Nicodemus. Let's just look at his personality and his person. Let's look at him in just really verses 1 and 2. Now, Jesus is back in Jerusalem. Some say, well, maybe he went back. Well, if you study Jesus real carefully, he didn't like to spend the night in Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know why. It's like me going to the mall. I don't like going to the mall. If I get there, I have to leave as quickly as I can. It just gives me heebie-jeebies. Now, that's a Hebrew word, but he didn't like... He would stay in Bethany, which is across uh, the eastern ridge. He would stay with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he would often stay in Bethany with just a short walk away and then come into the city. But in verse 1, we see him encountering this man named Nicodemus. We know he had already, remember the latter part of chapter 2, he had performed many miracles. In fact, if you were to take, and some politicians seem to like popularity polls. Uh, I remember meeting one president, uh, George Bush, who could care less about popularity polls. He didn't even pay attention to them. Others have and do. If Jesus had taken a popular, if, if one had been taken about Jesus, it would have been the apex, the acme, the high point, because he was so popular now, people were just thronging around him because they were drawn, as we said last week, to his miracles. And that drew not only legitimate followers and seekers like Nicodemus, but it brought, brought people whose faith was very shallow, who just wanted to see the miraculous and the spectacular and really were not true in their seeking of Jesus as a Savior. So John 3, 1 really begins to form a contrast between those who are shallow and those who are now serious. And we see that's true of Nicodemus. Well, who was he? Well, if you look at verses 1 and 2, we see a little bit about him. Well, first of all, let me tell you, it doesn't say here, but we know from another situation that he was a very wealthy man. Well, how do we know Nicodemus was wealthy? Because when Jesus died, it says he brought a hundred pound weight of myrrh and aloes to anoint the body of Jesus. Only a very wealthy man could have afforded that amount of a very expensive item that was used in the burial process. So he's a very wealthy man. We also know he was a Pharisee. What does it say in verse 1? He was a man of the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? They were the most religious people in Israel. They lived, they made a living at being good. Or what they thought was good. They were a sect of the Jews who uh, adhered to the Mosaic law and then tried to extrapolate from the Mosaic law first five books of the Bible, the Torah, which they took to be the, the true word of God only. And they would extrapolate from those principles and find an amazing number, in fact, an infinite number of rules to how to obey the rules of the Old Testament. It got so ridiculous, actually, that there were over 1,200 rules on what you could not do on the Sabbath day because if you did any of those things, you would break the Bible rule that says you shall not work on the Sabbath. Such as, you can't use a walking stick 
on the Sabbath. Why? Because you might punch a hole in the ground. And why? Because then the wind might blow a seed into that hole and a plant might come up and guess what? You'd be guilty of sowing seed on the Sabbath. You see how ridiculous it got? But many of these people were really seeking to do what they thought God would want. In the modern day example of the, well, we have some in the evangelical world, believe me, but if you go to Israel, you see, or New York City, you will see Hasidic Jews, Orthodox Jews, who still to this day are very serious about fulfilling what they think obeys the Old Testament law. Well, he was a Pharisee. But also he was a Sadducee. Do you see in the latter part of chapter verse 1 it says he was a ruler of the Jews. So he was not only a Pharisee, he was a Sadducee. What does that mean? There was a 70 member, to put it best, a supreme court of the Jews, of the Pharisees. And those were the Sadducees. And so he was a member, excuse me, the Sanhedrin. Why does he say Sadducees? The Sanhedrin, 70 member Supreme Court of the Pharisees. So he's a member of the Sanhedrin, a ruler of the Jews. So he is a wealthy man. He's an important man. He's a member of the aristocracy. He's a fanatically devoted follower of Yahweh God. A man of national prominence. And what does it say? He comes, verse 2, comes to Jesus by night. So here is this nationally prominent man, a seriously devoted follower of Judaism, who comes to a homeless prophet by night. This homeless prophet is from Galilee, and everybody knew nobody special ever comes from Galilee. And here is this homeless Galilean prophet and this man of national prominence, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, he comes to Jesus by night. Why did he come at night? I don't know. Maybe because he didn't want anybody to see him. Maybe it's because that's when he got off work. I don't know. But this cultured, refined gentleman comes. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he was not experiencing the deep, soul satisfaction that he wanted. And so many people with whom I've spoken over the years, there's this deep void that is inside of them because of a lack of a wonderful relationship to Jesus. And that's what Nicodemus was experiencing. And maybe some of you are experiencing that even this morning. But beautifully, the Holy Spirit was maneuvering Nicodemus to where he could hear the truth and receive the truth of a precious relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So now in verse 3, let's notice the, the approach of Jesus. Examine the approach of Jesus with me, please. Well, Nicodemus had expressed to Jesus how he felt about him. Rabbi, we know you are a man from God. We know nobody could do what you've done if God was not with him. So it expressed a very high opinion of Jesus the homeless Galilean prophet. So how did Jesus approach him? He responds back to him in verse 3, basically, and says, Now, Nick, you're right. I am from God. But I got something to tell you, Brother Nick. You need the Lord in a way you've never experienced Him before. 
I know you've devoted your life to serving, to learning. And I know you're a teacher. He says, you're a great teacher of Israel. But you've missed it, Nicodemus. You've missed it. Friends, I cannot tell you how burdened I, Frank Page, have been over the years. When I have poured my heart out, and I know Sunday school teachers have taught the precious word, and yet I've seen men and women just glaze over and miss it. You see, every area has cultural Christianity. And we have it in the upstate of South Carolina. We can sing the hymns and we can read the scripture and still miss the truth of a relationship. And Jesus said, you've got it right, but you need a new kind of life, Nicodemus. The life you need now comes from above and it will enable you to see clearly. And no doubt Nicodemus was perplexed. He had dealt with life by being obedient to a set of rules. And here Jesus is saying, it's not enough. You've got to be born again. He's perplexed. He doesn't understand. He thought maybe he'd get some grand intellectual answer from Jesus. But Jesus deals with him on a spiritual basis. Well, how often in life have we attacked, attacked our lives by thinking if we just change our circumstances, we'll be okay. But Jesus keeps telling us it's a spiritual issue you need to be dealing with. And we want to change the circumstances rather than change the spiritual condition. Well, Jesus' approach was unique. It was personal. And it was powerful. I've witnessed to so many people and I've just seen so many unique individuals. I'll never forget. In fact, I, heard, I got a text from a man this week. His name is Gene. I led him to Christ in the 90s. He's a nuclear engineer. Man, was he hard to witness to. Because he had to figure it all out. He had to figure it all out. And by the way, he came to hear me preach when I was doing an interim in Athens, Georgia. I made him stand up. I said, Gene, people want to know, I've told your story. People want to know, did you give your life? And he said, I'll tell you the date, Dr. Page. When was it? And he gave me the date. I said, that's pretty good, son. I said, listen, Gene, for you, you have to accept the absurd. What? Listen to me, son. I said, listen, the Bible says the gospel is foolishness to those who do not believe. And you need to accept the foolish, the absurd, that Jesus is who he said he was. It's a matter of faith, Gene. You're not going to figure it out. And it wasn't too long he gave his life to Christ. Oh, I've shared Christ with so many other people and used different ways. I'll never forget one time I went to a house and I was sharing John 3, 16 that we'll get to in just a moment. And this young man said, I know that verse. I said, how do you know that verse? He said, because I like to watch sports. And he said, people are always holding up signs that say John 3, 16. So he said, I came home and dusted off the Bible and I found it. I said, well, good for you. Most people never dust it off or don't even have one in the first place. I've told that story. I'll never forget it. A young man in our church who happened to be an African-American young man had won a lady to Christ at work. So he came to me and said, Dr. Page, she wants us to come witness to her husband. I said, okay, we'll go witness the husband. 
Well, when I got to the door, it was way out north of town. You could tell he didn't want to see us. You can just, you know, even some of you are pretty dull, but you, any of you dull people could have understood that one real quick. You could tell he didn't want us there. But I looked into the house and I saw a trophy that was taller than me. And I said, what is that back there? He said, that's a trophy because I am a four-time world champion foosball player. You know what foosball is? Got those handles. Well, I've got one in my house. Dale got it for me many years ago. I said, if you let me in, I'll beat you in foosball. Now, I was good at foosball when I was in college, and I'm not as good now, but I was never great. Did I think I was going to beat him? No. He said, oh, you think so? I said, come let me in and you'll find out, big boy. Well, he beat me so bad. Let me just tell you, he beat me. I never got a single point on him. He beat me up one side and down the other. But I gave it the best I could. And let me tell you, he got to laughing. He got to smiling. I led that boy to Jesus. So let me tell you, foosball can win people to Christ. Whatever it takes, that's what we need to do. God bless whoever that is. They're catching them right now. But anyway... Jesus used the unique way of dealing with Nicodemus because he said, Nicodemus, you need to understand something. There is a new life that's different than you've ever imagined. You must be born again. Now examine with me this exciting dialogue. We're not going to spend a great deal of time, but look at the last part from verse 4 through 21, and we see Jesus explaining the new birth. With great consternation, Nicodemus in verse 4 and 5 basically said, now wait a minute, wait a minute, born again. Now some people think he's speaking to the absurdity of a new physical birth. How could a man enter in, you know, obviously. But some scholars say, listen, Nicodemus was a smart man. He knew that was an absurd suggestion, but it was a purposeful way to get him to understand that what Jesus was trying to get him to understand was something that was totally different than anything he'd ever imagined. Something, maybe Nicodemus in his consternation was saying, now wait a minute, are you telling me that people can change the habits and the tendencies that we have? Are you telling me that we can have a new kind of life and change old ways of thinking? I know physical rebirth is impossible, but is even spiritual rebirth really possible? Once the die is cast, habits are formed, lifestyles have been lived, is it possible for someone to really be born again? Many of us have expressed the same kind of doubt. I'll never change. You'll never change. That husband of mine will never change. That wife of mine will never change. But Jesus said the kind of life I'm telling you about, Nicodemus, is possible. Not because of anything you can do, but because of a new birth. Life from above. 
And so Nicodemus couldn't comprehend it. So Jesus began to teach him. And look at verse 5. Jesus said, I'm telling you, unless you're born of water physically and spiritually, you'll never enter the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. And then in verse 6 and following, he keeps telling him what this really means. And so in 6 and 7, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. And it reaches its zenith there in verse 9. As he just says, I don't understand this. How could this be, Jesus? Wait a minute. You're the teacher, aren't you? Don't you understand these things? Oh, and he continues to deal with him. And we see... As he goes on down in verse 14 and 15, we see really the climax. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I believe that became the moment of decision. I believe Nicodemus was confronted with the reality of a spiritual rebirth that would change him. That would undo his belief that you had to be good enough to get into the kingdom. And Jesus said, I'm the one who has to be good enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And then we see in verse 15, whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. And then verse 16, that Mount Everest of Scripture verses that has been heard and used so many times where we hear him say, For God loved you, Nicodemus. For God so loved the world. The word world is used three ways in Scripture. It does refer sometimes to the physical place in which we live. Sometimes it refers to human beings, the world of people. But sometimes he's referring to an individual. Nicodemus, for God so loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, me, me, Nicodemus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17, that's our memory verse for today, my friends. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Did you hear that? God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him you might be saved. Then He describes how that lives out in the next verses. Darkness and light. Well, my friends, John does not tell us what happened immediately at that point. Do we think Nicodemus came to Christ? Oh, yes, we do. And we see later on him manifesting his love for Jesus even as Jesus died. We see that and we will see that later on. But we know Jesus came to him right where he was and met him right where he was and moved him. We see Jesus lovingly and patiently leading him to repentance and the new birth. I ask you today, have you been born again. Have you been born again? I've asked so many people that question, and you know how they usually respond to me? Well, I'll tell you where I'm a church member, Brother Frank. Didn't ask you where you were a church member. Well, I was baptized. Didn't ask you where you were baptized. 
But my mom and daddy were good people. Well, God bless them. Have you been born again? A few years ago now, I got to meet a man named Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was one of Richard Nixon's hatchet men. Went to prison over it, remember? But when he got out, someone led him to Christ. And guess what the first book he ever wrote was? It was entitled, Born Again. Oh, and I met him. What a grand, grand man. God changed him and used him because he was born again. Have you been born again? Have you had a relationship? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where he has saved you and you have been born not only of water, but you have been born of the Spirit? Nicodemus heard the truth. Someone finally told him for the first time in his life what it really meant to be born again. And today he wants you to be born again also. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for its personalness. God, we pray that you would be personable with us. And right now, through your Holy Spirit, to speak through our hearts the truth that you spoke to Nicodemus. Oh God, right now in Jesus' name, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl here today that this would be a moment of decision. And if they haven't already been born again, then today, quietly they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Change me, I repent of my sins, and I come to you. God, thank you that that happened to Nicodemus. May it happen to all of us. But God, whatever decision we need to make to get right with you, Lord, just to pray to you, whatever you want, God, we're open to you today. And we come to you in Jesus' precious name.